In Luke chapter 11, we have this request from the disciples to Jesus to teach us how to pray. You know, you ever had somebody who was just better at something than you, and, and they showed up, and you go, you got to teach me how to do this. I mean, all my children were home last weekend. I've got a new DVR player, so my request was, teach me how to connect this thing. I don't even know. And, and maybe, maybe you're that way. But the disciples, man, they have witnessed the prayer life of Jesus. They've seen him preach. They've seen his power. They've even experienced some of it. And yet a couple of chapters before, there was a man who came to Jesus' disciples wanting them to cast a demon out, and they couldn't do it. And Jesus corners them and says, the reason you couldn't do it is that this kind only comes out by prayer. So they knew that there was a special power that only came through prayer. But I want to take it further today. I think there was something else they noticed in Jesus' prayer life that they wanted even more than the power. And as we walk through this message together, I hope that you'll pick up on that. Go to Luke chapter 11. Let's start in verse 1. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. The first thing I want you to see, especially write down if you're taking notes, is the priority of prayer. You know, there are times in the Gospels where these disciples are perturbed with Jesus because there's big crowds wanting to hear him, and he's out praying. And they think, why are you praying when somebody wants to hear you preach? But you see, Jesus had a priority in prayer. And they'd watched it. It is baptism. He's praying. When the crowds get large, he's praying. When he chooses these 12, he's praying. In private, he's praying. Even on the Mount of Transfiguration, we saw him praying. Now, this point has been made over and over, but it could never be made too often. So listen to this. You've heard it before. You need to hear it again. If the Son of God needed to lean on his Father in prayer, how much more do we? Okay? It needs to be a priority in our life. Now let's see him as he teaches the pattern of prayer. Verse 2. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. So now Jesus gives a pattern of prayer. Jesus says, you're you're not like the Pharisees. It's not about long prayers. It's not about complicated prayers. It's just a simple prayer. Now, we often call this the Lord's Prayer, and I understand why. But I think it would be more accurately called the Disciples' Prayer. This is the way that we're supposed to pray. Now, Jesus didn't mean that we just constantly recite this prayer, even though that's not a bad idea. What he meant was, this is an outline, a model for the things that you need to pray about. It's very, very simple. In the end of this message, I'll give you a specific tool to help you pray this prayer. And then to drive his point home, Jesus tells a rather interesting parable in Luke chapter 11, verse 5. Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. 
A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. Understand, in the first century, hospitality was a big deal. It was an expectation. If a friend showed up at your door, you kept care of him. It was an expectation for this man. If someone came knocking on your door, needed some help, you helped him. But this guy is not willing. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. What's he saying here? We've got to be persistent in prayer. Now, there's a lot of room for misunderstanding in what I've just read you. If you're not careful, you might understand in this parable that God is the grouchy neighbor. And, 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 and what you're to do is that you are to beat on his door, scream at him, wake up the neighborhood until he finally succumbs to your relentless pressure and he says something. And many of us look at God that way. And you almost could read that parable and think, that's God. God is, God, you know, I just got to pray and pray and pray and beg and beg and beg, and maybe one day he'll do something. You got to understand this. this. This parable is not a parallel between this man and God. It's a contrast. What, what the parable is saying is, is if, if this dude, as selfish as he is, can finally be bugged into doing something, how much more will your heavenly Father readily answer your prayers? And what Jesus is teaching here, he also teaches over in Luke chapter 18, is that we must be persistent in our prayers. There's power in persistence. It's not overcoming God's reluctance. It's grabbing God's willingness. And then the parable of Luke chapter 18 is almost identical. Jesus says, I've taught you that you might always pray and don't give up. Maybe there's some things you've been praying about for years. Jesus says, keep on praying. God's delays are not God's denials. Often God knows better than you about what you need, and so maybe he said no and you're heartbreaking. But one day, it might even be in heaven, you'll see that God's answer was right. Uh, you're probably familiar with the, the Garth Brooks song about this. What does it say? I thank God for what? You guys aren't country music fans? I thank God for what? Unanswer prayers. Garth Brooks has gone back to high school reunion, and he saw the old girlfriend he had prayed about. And he's so glad God didn't answer that prayer, all right? <laughs> you see, you don't always know what's going on, but God does. And so you just persistently pray. And then Jesus closes this teaching out in verse 9. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find knock and the door will be open. You see the persistence there? Don't just ask about somebody. Don't just seek them. You show up on their doorstep and knock. Ask, seek, knock. For everyone who asks receives, the whom who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And then Jesus illustrates this in a really cool way. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, would give him a snake instead. Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion. Obviously, people didn't have big-time Christmas lists in those days. But Jesus says this, you wouldn't have your kid come up and ask for a bicycle for Christmas, and you wrap up a snake. 
or they ask for a set of Legos and you wrap up a rock. He says, you are evil people and you don't always have it together, but even you dads know better than to do that, okay? Look at verse 13. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven, oh, I love this, don't stop, don't miss this, give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. You see, Luke's version of this is a little bit different than Matthew's. Uh, Matthew says, how much more would the Father give the good gift to those who ask him? And Luke defines what the good gift is. How much more would the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Parents, listen to me. The best gift you will give is not under the tree. If you're trying to win your children over with elaborate, expensive gifts, you're making a big mistake and probably teaching them the wrong thing. The best gift you could ever give your children is what? Yourself. That's what they want. And Jesus says, the best gift God gives us is not that he, not that he answers every prayer that I ask the way I want him to answer it. That, that's not the good gift. The good gift is he will give you the Holy Spirit. He will give you himself. And so the, the point here being is you want more of God. So I hope you've paid close attention. Maybe you've already guessed the key word here. What changes your prayer life? What is the revolutionary thread in this passage? It's one word, Father. The prayer started out, the model prayer, our Father. God is not the reluctant neighbor who doesn't want to give you anything. He's the loving Father who loves to give good gifts. And when you crawl up in his lap, he'll give you the best gift of all, which is himself. Now, we've heard this so many times that this does not sound revolutionary. But if you will stick with me today, I think you'll believe it is. And I think it could change your prayer life and my prayer life. Do you know how revolutionary it was for Jesus to address God as Father? In the Aramaic, it's Abba, it's Daddy. Now, understand this. To this point in time, Jewish people would not even seek to pronounce the name of God in prayer. It was too holy. Can you imagine being a Jew in the audience when the apostle Paul says, hey, because of Jesus now, you can call God Abba, you can call him Daddy. I can remember the first time in the Church of Christ I heard somebody come up to the old pulpit and say, Daddy, I'd like to talk to you. We weren't too pleased with that. You remember that? Can you imagine, though, Jewish people who for all their life said, don't even say his name. And now there's this intimacy level that says, you can come to him and you can call him daddy. Now, I learned a lot about this when Stephanie and I went on our trip to Israel. Our, our tour guide leader was a guy I told you about named Joe Shulam. He was a Jewish convert to Christianity and had an amazing knowledge of Old Testament and New Testament. Crazy. And we were asking him one day on the trip about the Lord's Prayer and what made it so special that Jesus would say, this is the prayer you pray. His answer, first of all, surprised me. He said, there's nothing unusual about this prayer. If you look in Jewish prayer books of that day, you would find prayers that follow the same model almost verbatim. What did make that prayer revolutionary 
is calling God Father. And then he pointed this out. In the Old Testament, the word Father is used 613 times. Only four times does it refer to God. In the New Testament, the word Father is used 311 times. Listen, 249 of those are about God. That old man looked at me and my friend and said, you think he's made a point. There's an absolute point. You see, as I've read these stories in the past, I've missed that point. I thought it's just this formulaic prayer. That's not the point. The point is you have a father that you can come to. The, the, the point is you may be a different person in the story than what you first identified. Now, I know there's a lesson to be learned by the friend who's begging about persistence. But I don't think that's you and me in the story. We learn a lesson. But there's one little phrase in verse 7. When the guy is not letting them come in, he says, the door's locked and my children are already in bed with me. You see, I finally figured it out. I'm not the person beating the door down. I'm the child in bed with my dad. Now, don't start thinking weird because in this day, everybody slept as a family together. What he's saying here is you have this relationship with your father that is not distance. You're snuggled up in the bed with him. You are a little child. The key to effective prayer is to come to God in utter dependence. That's what was so unbelievable to me about Trent Dilford that we had as our speaker at Gridiron Monday night. I mean, here you got this big old brute man. You know, it looks like he still could be a linebacker. He's wearing this Super Bowl ring, heavy, passes around the audience. Super successful. And he chooses to come speak to 800 men about pain. That's like, that's not what I expected. It's better than what I expected. And his point was, what pain does is it leads you to dependence on God. It leads you to be that innocent child that says, you know, I don't worry about where my meal's coming tomorrow or what's going on. I just got a daddy that can take care of me. So it helps me understand my relationship with God. Through the years, is I've tried to figure out how I can relate to God and what I can say to God. The thing that's helped me the most is this image of God being a father. And what helped me is that I became a dad. As my children grew up, often I'd go, can I say this to God? The question I'd ask is, would I want my kid to come talk to me about this? Can I really share this problem or this sin issue in my life? Would I want my child to come talk to me? Absolutely. Can, can I even complain to God about what he's done or not done? Well, if my child had a complaint with me, I'd be honored if they came. I mean, I, when, when I made that analogy, it changed my prayer life because what I love more than anything is my children just to come share life. I don't care if it's good, bad, and ugly. What would break my heart is if they didn't tell me. And what I want you to know about God is as your father, what will break his heart is if you don't tell him. He already knows. You see, it's that kind of relationship that begins to change 
I want to tell you a story. A few months ago, I had a, a friend, doesn't live here. You guys don't know this guy, but I've, I've known him for years. And he called me just absolutely brokenhearted. And the story goes this way. His 16-year-old son had come out and said he's having same-sex attraction. And the father's calling me to go, what do I do? How do I, how do I handle this? How do I, I love my son and uphold biblical values at the same time? That's what our culture is in the middle of. And he talked about how openly his son was talking about it. Now, I knew this young man from years ago. In his teenage years, the, the father, in the father's teenage years, he had also had same-sex attraction. Now he's married and got children, done well. But he had had same-sex attraction. So now, in the father's nightmare, he's got his son coming saying, and now he's got to tell his son what he struggled with. And I kept thinking, at the end of the conversation, I finally said to the father, my friend, I said, brother, isn't it awesome that your son felt comfortable enough to talk to you about this? Because I remember you would have never talked to your daddy about this. You see, guys, that's the kind of relationship that Jesus is teaching us about right now. A relationship where you can go with your worst issue and your worst problem and bear your heart to him and allow him to help you. Now, many of us have a challenge with this. Let me, let me hit this really quickly. Uh, some of us have a challenge because when I bring up the word father, you don't necessarily like that. And, and many of us have a father hunger because we live in a culture where, where so many fathers have abdicated their cause. That's why I'm excited about this man up group where we're going to talk about men being men. But so many fathers have abdicated their, their, their cause. In fact, I heard this statistic the other day. The, we live in the most fatherless generation in the history of the world where they didn't lose their fathers in war. You got that? There's many generations have lived where they dirt the fathers. But that was normally because their father was brave enough to go out and give his life for his country. We live with the dirt of fathers because many of us are selfish enough to walk down the street to something more intriguing. Now, we all know what that's caused. I think if you study any major studies, not even Christian studies, you will find out that our culture in our country is falling apart because of the lack of father figures. That's why I'm excited about our single mothers group starting on Wednesday night because we want to surround those mothers with some men that can play those roles in their children's life. You see, it's destroying our country. Some feminists may have years ago said it doesn't matter if you got a dad or not. It doesn't matter. Every single study, secular or spiritual, says you take the father out and everything gets worse. But the point I want to make to you today is that if you remove God as your heavenly father, it will destroy your soul. You see, the good news of this message is that God wants to be your daddy. And that father hunger void you have, he wants to fill. Now, some of you say, buddy, mine's worse than just father hunger. Mine is father wounds. Even 
Even to bring up the, the term father for some people in this audience, it brings up a negative connotation. My father was cruel. My father was mean. I watched my father beat my mom. And so when you say God being a father, quite frankly, my first response is anger. I don't want another father. But we all know it's needed. I went to my wife's uncle's funeral a couple years ago. His name was James Pelham. He was a high school football and track coach in the state of Florida, extremely successful. At the end of the funeral service, after some of us had talked, they opened the floor for anybody to come before the congregation and talk about Coach Pelham. He coached in some of the most impoverished areas of Florida. And one after another, it drug on for a long time. Different young men came up before that funeral service and said, Coach Pelham was the only daddy I ever had. And my friends, if you are suffering today with father hunger or father wounds, I want you to know that your heavenly father wants to fill that hole. He wants to heal that wound. And so I don't know how you grew up with distant fathers or hurtful fathers. You know, my dad, my biological dad died when my mother was pregnant with me. I never knew him. My mom remarried when I was a year and a half old, married a really good man, solid man, hard worker, good provider. But there was not emotional support. I don't blame him. He married a woman with four kids. But it left a wound in my life, a hunger in my life. And you may be in the same place. And today what I invite you is to embrace God as this father. I want to challenge you with a little bit of application here. You know, if we really believe what we've talked about, you know, part of the Lord's prayer is our father. It's a community prayer. We pray together. And so what I would like to encourage you to do is participate in this next week of prayer. We're going to start it in just a few minutes. And we're going to close out that week of prayer with a, a worship time together and a prayer time together. Be different than some of our other worship gatherings in that we're going to want to pray over school administrators and teachers and students. Let's pray together. And the second application I'll show up here to you is, is what's called the prayer hexagon. Is that right? I called it Pentagon in first service. Only one person corrected me, so I guess y'all are as bad as I am. But this is a great tool, and this sort of combines Luke and Matthew's version of the Lord's Prayer. And, and, and the way you pray this, in fact, the other day, I was just really struggling. I, I, something was really bothering me, and I just couldn't, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to pray about it. And I remembered I had the prayer hexagon in the back of my Bible. And so I got it out, and here's how it goes. You start at the top. You talk, first of all, you address God, and you honor his character. You know who he is. You ask for his will to be done, not your will to be done, for his kingdom to come. You pray about his provision in your life. You ask for his forgiveness. Whatever's going on in your life, you go to your father for guidance because you know he wants to. And you go to that dad who's going to protect you and ask for protection. I found out when all else fails, what? Read the instructions. And Jesus knew what he was saying here. 
So I want to challenge you to take that as a personal tool on the bottom of your outline. If you're struggling with your prayer, which most of us do, listen to what Jesus said. So, I close this way. The key to understanding this passage and the key to changing your relationship with God is to see God as a father. I want to show you a really cool picture up here many of you heard about. This is a picture of of, uh, our president. Let's, Let's see if we go. There's President Trump. That's when the Alabama football team went to the White House to be honored for the national championship. And there was a guy, uh, you know, the kicker, the punter. He's now got a pro scholarship named J.K. Scott who did something so audacious and bold. And in the time, he walked over to President Trump and said, can I pray over you? And there they are, surrounding the president with their hands on him. I've got an inside scoop on this story because my friend in Tuscaloosa, Preston Comber, who's the campus minister there, is like best friends with J.K. Scott. And I've heard all these J.K. Scott stories. Him and Preston, a few months ago, crashed a fraternity party. They just broke it. They just got their way in it and hung out on the fringes so they could meet someone that was lonely, maybe even drunk and lonely, and try to introduce them to Jesus. They're just that bold. But J.K. said this. He said, while we were standing there at the White House, in that moment, God, my Father, gave me his own heart to see Donald Trump as a son. He's a polarizing figure, I know that. Some of you probably love him, some of you hate him. But I do know this, God loves him. And J.K. was given that heart. And here is what he prayed. Father, would you show yourself to President Trump? Would you help him to see himself as your son? You see, that would change his life. And what I'm saying to you this morning is if you could see God as your dad, it would change your life. So the challenge here is to trust God. You say, how do I know I can trust God? Listen, all you have to do is look back at the cross. Because it's the cross where Jesus' Father turned his back on you so that he might never turn his back, turned his back on Jesus so he might never turn his back on you. Jesus had to be fatherless for a few moments so that you would never be fatherless. And Jesus didn't even pray his own prayer. He didn't ask the Father to shield him from evil. He allowed all the evil of the history of the world to be put on him so that you no longer are evil sons, you're good sons. So this morning, we're about to sing a song. If today you need us to pray J.K.'s prayer for you, that you would know God as a father. Maybe you've been distanced. Maybe it's even scared you. And you need us to pray over you that, that you can embrace him. Maybe your prayer life and your spiritual life is dead. And today's the day for you to recommit yourself. Or maybe today is the day that you want to become a Christian. You're ready to be baptized today, right now. I invite you to come. You've seen God very different than maybe you grew up seeing him. Now, he is a loving father. He's not someone to be scared of. He's not someone to cower from. He'd like you to snuggle up with him and let him be your daddy. If we can help you right now, come right now while we stand and sing.